Good morning, Boker Tov. Hope everybody's staying warm on the frigid Boker morning. 40s is frigid. Should be raining iguanas later today. Okay, I want to thank our sponsors for the Parsha series for the entire year. Dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz, and family and memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, Lili Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Monash. Today's classes are sponsored additionally by Mrs. Golda Sadowski in honor of her dear uncle and aunt, Rabbi Dr. Ed Kurtzer and Doris Kurtzer. Thank you very much. And also sponsored generously today by Mrs. Sylvia Brody in memory of her late husband, a special man, Arnie Brody, Asher Yosef Ben Benyamin, whose yurtzeit is tonight as Neshama should have an aliyah. Thank you, Mrs. Brody. Parshas Vayetze, page 144 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Vayetze Yakum Beersheva, we're going to try to make it past the first Pasuk today and get a little bit further into the Parsha. So we'll see how far that we get. And he went to Haran. Everyone knows the famous worst Jewish joke of all time. How do you know Yaakov Avinu wore a hat? How do you know he wore a black hat? It says, Would Yaakov go out without a hat? Worst joke of all time. Okay. So Yaakov leaves Beersheva and he goes to Haran. He leaves Beersheva and he heads to Haran. And what happens there? He puts, he encounters the place and he spends the night there. Why? Because it got dark. He takes the stones of the place, he puts it under his head. And he dwells in that place. Place. We all know this story. He has a dream. A ladder that's based on the ground, and the top of it is in the heavens. Someone once set me up with a girl when I was dating, and her selling point was she is a Sula Mutsav Artsa Varosha Magia Shamaima. She's very grounded here on earth, but she's very spiritual. Put that on your resume. It's good for the Shidduch resume. You are a Sulam Mutsav Arza. And there were angels of Hashem going up and going down. And in this dream, he sees God is standing over him. And he says, I am the Lord, your God, God of Avram, your father, God of Yitzchak. The land that you are lying on, I'm giving it to you and your progeny. And your offspring will be like the Afar. Ha'aretz, the dust of the ground, of the earth, of Faratzta, Yama, Vakedma, Vitzafona, Venegba, Venivrechu, Bechol, Komeshboros, Adama, Uvizaracha. Your family will spread out, Ufaratzta, the Rebbe's campaign, go all over the globe, wherever there are Jews, you will go, and people who bless you, people will be blessed through you. And wherever you go, don't worry, I'm coming with you. Yaakov wakes up, and he makes a startling statement. Achen Hashem, Bamakom. Who knew? Who knew? There's a holy place, God's here. I didn't know. And he looks and he says, wow. He becomes frightened. He looks and he sees and he says, wow, what a wondrous place. And that is the opening section of our parsha. Let's take a quick look at some fascinating, fascinating things here in the beginning of our parsha. First of all, he encounters the makom, the place. Again, where is this place? Unclear exactly. We have two traditions. We've spoken about it in the Parsha class in the past. 
the ladder goes from one place to another, where is the base of that ladder? There's a tradition that was in Beit El. Anyone here ever been to Beit El? If you go to the modern Beit El today, you'll see there's a big sign at the entrance of the city that says, we didn't need no U.S. policy to tell us that we're legal. It doesn't say that, but it paraphrase. It basically says that. It says, we've been legal since Yaakov put his weary head to rest right here and had a dream about a ladder going to heaven that happened right here. You go to the modern Beit El, there's a big sign at the entrance of the Yeshuv that says, thousands of years ago, Yaakov had that dream. It's been ours ever since. Others say it's in Yerushalayim, it's on Harabais. It's in the place where the base of Mikdash was destined to stand, that Yaakov put his head to rest and had that dream. As I said, we've spoken about and analyzed that in the past, not our topic for today. But he encounters a place. What is this generic place? It doesn't have a name. It doesn't get coordinates. How do you plug Hamakom into the GPS? How do you put it into ways? How do you know how to get to Hamakom if you want to go visit the Vayifka Bamakom? What is the notion of this Makom? So first of all, we find that word makom several times. We find it in Tanakh several times as a description of Hashem. We saw it earlier when Avram Vayaras HaMakom Meirachok. Avram saw, especially if it's Har HaMoriah, if it's the Temple Mount, it's the very same place. Avram saw it from a distance. Vayara Makom Meirachok. And now Vayifka makom. So Harabais is called makom. We also use makom in our ritual. We use it in Avelis in particular. You pay a shiva call and you say, Hamakom Yenachim Eschem, Ashkenazim, Elise, Hamakom, may God comfort you. So Hamakom is a name for God. Shulchan Aruch records it not only in the case of a person who loses a loved one, if a person experienced an enormous financial loss. You say, Hamakom Yenachim is also Hamakom. We use it when we are wishing someone well, when we are wishing someone comfort. We also invoke it in the Haggadah. Anyone know where we say Hamakom in the Haggadah? Baruch HaMakom, Baruch Blessed is the place. What place? Baruch HaMakom is God. Baruch HaMakom, Baruch Hu. So we use the Makom in all of these different places. What is the word Makom? So Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, the paradigmatic figure who found Hashem despite his, despite his transcendence is the prophet Yechezkel. Yechezkel's prophetic revelation took place not in the base of Mikdash, nor even in the land of Israel, but rather in a concentration camp in the midst of the bitter Babylonian exile among the captives on the river Kebar. Yet despite the fact that it was a time of acute Hester Panim, the heavens opened up and Yechezkel saw visions of Hashem. When Yechezkel declared, Baruch kvod Hashem mimkomo, blessed is the glory of Hashem from his place, he was referring to the huge distance between Hashem and his people. Yaakov similarly encountered Hashem in a time of travail. Penniless, fleeing his brother on the road towards exile, Yaakov perceived Hashem as makom. So this is the Rav's interpretation that when we see the name of God being used for makom, it is a description of perceiving I'm at a distance. Hashem is a place that's far off. It's inaccessible. I don't feel connected. I don't feel close. Hashem asks Avram to go perform the Akedah. Vayaras makom meirachok. He feels a distance. Yaakov now is penniless. He's on the run. He's leaving the comfort and the cocoon and the protection of the tents in the plural, that he dwelled in. And now he's on the road, he's fleeing, he's running, and he feels, where's Hashem, and what's happening, and why is this happening? He feels at a distance. The Dalad Banim, Baruch HaMakom Baruch Why are we using the name of Hashem? Because one of the Banim is a Russia. So you may say, Nebuch, how can I have a Russia? One of my four sons at the table is a Russia. For some, it's even worse if he's a Tam, Roshayin, or Yedei Right? Only the Chacham gives Nachas. 
So Baruch HaMakom, Baruch Hu, HaMakom Yanachim. You don't feel Hashem very much in your life, sitting low on the ground in the Shiva chair. Hashem has just snatched from you someone you love, someone close to you, someone who's irreplaceable, and you don't feel so connected to Him. So I don't say, Hashem, Avinu Av should give you Nechama. I say, HaMakom Yanachim Eschem. The name of Hashem, the description of Hashem, when there is a sense of, and a feeling of distance. Chazal interpret the word Makom in the context of prayer. Both in regard to Yaakov and Avram. Chazal indicated Avram instituted Shacharis. Vayashkim Avram Baboker El HaMakom Asher Amad Sham. He went to the Makom. Based on this Pasuk in which the word Makom also appears, it suggests Yaakov instituted Marav. Vayifgaba Makom, this is the origin of the tefillah of Marav. The word Makom is the connotation of an appointment, a date, a rendezvous, in a certain place at a certain time. Prayer is a rendezvous with Hashem, says the Rav, which ideally takes place at a specific time and specific place every day. What's the best way to daven? Is in a makom kavua. To have a set place. The Gemara says that who is a person who resembles someone who has a makom kavua, and most understand it means in the shul, and it doesn't mean you have the right to kick anyone out of your seat if you're late. Dalaramos, six feet around that chair is still part of your makom kavua. Don't kick anyone out. But Rabbeinu Yonah and Gemara understands the makom kavua is not in shul. Rabbeinu Yonah understands if you daven at home, if you have to daven at home, or a woman who habitually davens at home should have a designated place within the home for davening. It's not sometimes in the kitchen, sometimes in the den, sometimes on the patch, sometimes in the portia, sometimes while I'm making the bread, while I'm answering the phone, while I'm putting away the dish, while I'm... It should be a designated place. Vayifka ba makom. Makom is tefillah. When you have a designated place and a designated time and a designated state of mind, it will be able to uplift you and enrich you and you'll daven. Kutzker Rebbe, I'm going to quote a couple of Kutzkers today. The Kutzker had a great shot. Kutzker says, in our Kedusha we say, Aye mikom kvodo. You know what the Kutzker says? Aye! When you ask, where are you, Hashem? When you're looking for Him? When you're searching for Him? When you're trying to find Him? That's makom kvodo. You found Him. Aye! The search is makom kvodo. You found Him. If you're not searching... If you're not missing him, if you're not looking for him, then he's not there. When is he there? When is it makom kvodo? When you say aye. So it's not aye makom kvodo, where is your place of your glory? It's aye. When a person, when a Jew looks that he has found, she has found makom kvodo. A gavaldagapshat. Imre Chaim says the vision of Rebbe. You ready for a good chasidus? Chasidus Shavort says the following. Pesach says, Vayitza Yaakov, Yaakov leaves Beersheva. And he goes to Haran. And he encounters a place, and he chaps a dremel, he takes a shluv, Vayalun Shom. Yaduo mi Rabbeseinu HaKadoshim, Talmidei HaBesht. He quotes from the students of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, Chosu Yogen Aleinu. Shekashech hafeit Adam Lashuv B'Tshuva. When a person wants to make a major change in their life, if a person wants to transform themselves in their health and fitness, in their relationship, in their spirituality, in their davening, in their learning, in their midos, whatever major change a person wants to undertake and undergo, lo yarich b'viduyim al-chatoim shechata v'yachshav harbei mishiflas atzmo, the way to propel you to a major change, the way to be inspired to radically transform yourself is not by immersing yourself and by, by marinating in everything you've done wrong. 
vidur, vidur, I've been terrible and I'm this and I'm, I eat the wrong things and I don't exercise and I never move and I have no patience and I'm so jealous and I'm so arrogant and I'll hate, I'll hate, I'll hate and terrible and I did this and I did this and this and this and now I'll be better. So the best, the Bible, the Shem Tov said that doesn't make a person better. I'm lowly, I'm unworthy, I'm incapable, I'm incompetent, I'm pathetic. No, that becomes a self-fulfilled prophecy. You'll never break out of that. But rather, that's the worst. The thought process is not, I'm so low, I'm being dragged down to the ground, but I have the capacity to be so high. says in Tehillim, I think it's I'm just below God. Because Baruch Hu is the infinite, the omnipotent, and as his child, I'm right there with him. I'm royalty. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. I'm capable of incredible things. My potential knows no limits. I can and I will do so much better. I paint a picture in my mind's eye of who I can be. We'll see this more in a moment too. And that will awaken and arouse within you a desire to transform yourself. That yes, you can. You can do it. With a sense of joy. With a sense of joy. Now the truth is these were two schools of thought in Musr. We had three major schools of thought in, in the Muslim movement, the Talmidim of the Rav Yisrael we're not going to get into now. We had Kelm, Navardak, Slabadka. One was Godless Adam. It was built on the idea, you are the greatness of man, the greatness of man, your royalty. And if you ever meet, or you met, or you had the privilege to learn, or be in the presence of a Talmud of Slabadka, of someone who was influenced by the altar of Slabadka, you saw royalty. You saw greatness. You saw greatness. The altar of Slobodka had a tailor on staff in Slobodka. A bachar wasn't allowed in the base medrash if his missing a button, if his jacket or pants had a tear. You didn't have a wardrobe like we have today. You had one pair, you wore it the entire year until you went home to visit. You weren't allowed in because we're, we're godless Adam. You're angelic, you're royalty. Do you know who you are? So Rav Ruderman, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, and uh, the, the Talmidim of Slabadka, Rabbi Taitz and Elizabeth, my mom describes having grown up in Elizabeth and close with the Taitz family, you saw Rabbi Taitz, you were accessing royalty, godless Adam, who were capable of the greatness, the greatness of man, Rav Hutner, all these Talmidim of, of Slabadka. On the other hand, Avardik said, shiftless Adam, that's not going to make you great to think you're great. You know what's going to make you great? To realize how pathetic you are. To be humbled by how insignificant, inconsequential, unworthy and pathetic you are. And so in the Vardic, the whole attitude of, of, uh, of the Muslim movement, they would vie. The top bachar got to clean the toilets. And you would do things to intentionally embarrass yourself, to lower yourself. So those were arguments in the school of Musr. But in Hasidus, there isn't such an argument. And here certainly for the vision of the Rebbe, the Imre Chaim, he says, the way that you can grow is not by beating yourself up. The way you grow is by lifting yourself up. That's how you grow. And it brings simcha. And that's the pshat in this pasuk. And therefore he says, He wanted to get away from the Yitzhahara. Yaakov was trying to escape. Literally, he was fleeing the Yetzirah in the form of Esav. But figuratively, he was fleeing the Yetzirah in the form of self-improvement, trying to grow. 
So when you're running away from a Yitzhahara, how do you get better? Not by wallowing and marinating and stewing and everything you did wrong in the past and not believing in yourself, but by connecting with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, by you realize Avinu Avarachaman, our father, is rooting for us, cheering for us, supporting us, lifting us. He's there for us. He believes in us. And if he believes in us, we should believe in ourselves. So when Yaakov is running, Be'er Sheva, Be'er Sheva is the Yitzhahara Begematria. You're running away from the Yitzhahara. You have to run to Harana. Vayifka b'makam, you encounter Hashem, vayal and shan, and you dwell on Hashem. His boneness, his bodedus. Spend time thinking, talking, connecting with Hashem. Realize godless Adam, realize your greatness. You're practically an angel, and you'll realize how great you can become. This is the philosophy of self-improvement of a Jew. The wife of Lot was warned, don't turn around, Sodom is being destroyed. And what did she do? She turned around. And what happened to her? She turned into... So you know why? Did we talk about this in the parsha a few weeks ago? I don't remember. The good news is neither do you. So, why did she turn into a pillar of salt? Why a pillar of salt? Because salt, what does salt do? Salt is a preservative. It locks something in the way it is and prevents it from progressing or changing. So the instruction to the family of Lot was, you're out. You got a new lease on life. You got a second chance. You could transform yourself. You could radically improve yourself. Don't turn around. Don't look at what you did wrong. And don't think about your past mistakes. And don't define yourself and limit yourself by where you were. Don't turn around and she can't help it. And we don't know. Did she turn around nostalgically? Did she turn around longingly? Did she turn around with remorse and regret and shame? We don't know why she turned around, but we know she turned into a pillar of salt. Josephus. The Jewish historian claims that he saw that pillar of salt. He claims to have seen that pillar of salt. But she turned around, she turned into a pillar of salt. She preserved, she married, she, she became stuck in who she was. If you want to break through, it's not by turning around, it's by looking forward. It's by lifting oneself up, it's by reaching for the stars. I quote also of Shlomo Hafman, I love to quote. We say in the end of Ashrei, we said this in Siddur snippets. How do we praise you, Hashem? When I live life not looking backwards, but me'ata from now, ba'adolam. My heart, I can't change the past. I have no control of the past. I can't edit the past. I cannot change the past. The only thing I can change is the present. And by continuously changing the present, shape and mold my future. Me'ata from now, ba'adolam. That's what we say in Marav. What Yaakov introduced, we say in Marav, ve'haser satan milfaneinu u'me'acharenu. The satan milfaneinu, I understand. It's going to be the cheesecake I have to look at at lunch. That's the satan before me. So the next time I drive by an inappropriate billboard, there's a satan in front of me. If I had juicy lush and hard to say about the rabbi at the end of the parsha class, to not tell it to the next person, that's the satan before me. That's milfanenu. What's the satan me'acharenu? Who's the, if the satan's behind me, if he's behind me, what's the problem? What's the problem if I've already passed him? The satan that's behind me. The answer is, me'acharenu is a satan. The temptation to turn around and to dwell on your past and to dwell on your mistakes and to believe that you can't improve and you can't change and you can't grow, that in itself is a form of a satan. So we've seen Vayifgamba Makom, the Rav's interpretation, the Katzka Rebbe's interpretation, the Vizhnitzer Rebbe's interpretation of Vayetze. If you want to break out and you want to change something in your life, it's not by beating yourself up. It's not by the Viduya Mavachatayim, but it's not by beating yourself up, but rather it's by building yourself up. Now, what's going on here with the Olim V'yordim Bo? What's going on with the Olim V'yordim Bo? Going up and going down. We all know the Rashi since we're a little kid. The Malachim should be coming down and going up. Why are they going up and coming down? They originate in heaven. 
then they come down. They don't originate down here on earth. These are the same malachim. We, we know, we've heard that uh, that came for the shlichos, and now they're going up and, and coming down. What really is going on with this? What's going on with Olimbi or Dimpo? Olimbi or Dimpo. So, Rav Shechter has the following interpretation. We just had the discuss of hosting more of Rabbi Rav Shechter for an amazing, amazing weekend. In his Sefer on Parsha, the Chumash, he says the following. Chazal and Barishas Rabbah and both in Pirkei the Rebbe Liezer, the Ramban quotes, find this description in Yaakov's dream difficult. We usually visualize the Malachim as residing in Shemayim. Yaakov should first see them descend and then ascend. The Medrash suggests that these Malachim represent the guiding ministers appointed to attend to the affairs of their respective nations. And the description ascending and descending refers to the rise and fall of the four kingdoms. So Chazal, the Medrash, understands that descending and ascending is not a geographic description. It's not a physical description that they came down the ladder and went back up. But it means that these angels represent the four Galios, the four nations, and their kingdoms will ascend and descend that we know historically. They rise and fall. Hashem showed this to Yaakov as one of the founding fathers of the Jewish nation. And he promised him his nation's fate would not rest in the hands of the Malachim. The Klayasar will be the chilek, the portion of Hashem. Hashem will always be with you, Yaakov. I'm showing you a vision. I want you to see the whole world. The Persians, the Babylonians, they rose, they fell, they fell. Look at the whole world. The British Empire, look at Europe. Look at the different segments of the world. They rose and they fell. Empires grew and then they became dismantled. And everyone else rises and falls, but you know who's a consistent, who's a constant in a world of changing variables? Klal Yisrael. You, the Jewish people, says the Ribbon Shalom. And why is that? Because he now, Anochi Imach, Dishmarticha Bachol The Ribbon Shalom in this vision tells Yaakov Avinu, look around. Other empires, leaders, powerful rulers will rise and fall. They will be subject to the rules of history and you will transcend them. Why? Because I will be with you and I will protect you. The Ramban explains, if you analyze history of any other civilization, you'll find a predictable rise and fall, followed by an utter demise. The Jewish nation, however, is Lamalam and Ateva. We are above nature. And the Ramban considers this rule, Ein Mazali Yisrael, the Gemara comments. Others are influenced by the constellations and by their horoscopes. And they look in their horoscope and it says, I'm going to be this, Nebuch, what can I do? Those are my limitations. That's the ceiling. That's my nature. No matter what I do to nurture a change, that's my nature. I can't change it. But the Jewish people, Chazal, tell us, are Ein Mazal Yisrael. We can transcend our nature. We can nurture ourselves towards greatness. Ein Mazal. It's not a horoscope. It's not a constellation. It's not an astrological sign. It's only the will and the dominion of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Ramban writes, that's one of his Ikara Emuna. One of the axioms or foundations of our faith is to know that nothing's random or chance or coincidence, that we are not subject to the rise and fall like other nations of the world, but all that happens to the Klai Yisrael and the Jewish people. We are not governed by the rules and regulations of history, but only of Hashem. And that's the pshat when Hashem brought Avram outside, says Roshech, Hashem says, go out from your astro- astrology, go out from your horoscope, go out from your zodiac signs, because you're not subject to that. You're going to have a son. Yeah, your horoscope says you're not. And yeah, the constellations predict you won't. But you're not subservient. You're not subject to that. Ain mazal Yisrael. Abandon those calculations. Your history is above nature. It's Lamala Minateva. The Rav used to note that if we were to draw a chart outlining Jewish history, it would be represented by multiple cycles of peaks and troughs, not by one predictable rise and fall like other nations. It's not natural, as spelled out in the Torah. 
that we continue to reside in Eretz Yisrael only if Shemitah is observed or only the rainy season. There's so many supernatural parts about our history, our mere existence. Aisha Torah in the old Discovery Seminar, I spent the summer when I was younger as a madrich on Discovery. Back then people had an attention span. So Discovery was two and a half days long. Today Discovery is two and a half minutes long. I think it's two and a half hours. It's not even a whole day today because the whole world has changed. But back, back then we were tapped by Rav Noach Weinberg Zatzal, my dear friend Avi Pollack and I, we spent the summer where we were busy trying to recruit Jews passing through to, you know, backpackers, the typical profile of a person. Spend two and a half days, explore your history and your heritage. Come, come to the Discovery Seminar. We were very uh, religious back then, so we didn't want to go to Ben Yehuda Street. We had just come out of uh, Yeshiva, Canada, the Avna. That's back when I was religious, and I refused. Uh, ben Yehuda Street? You know, the way people are dressed, and the atmosphere, and the pretzels. So they made a meeting with us with Rav Noach Zatzal. I'll never forget it. With his piercing eyes, he looked right at us. And he said the following. He said, you're some fancy yeshiva bacher, you're some from Ben Torah, you can't go to Ben Yehuda to find people who aren't religious to bring them to discovery. He said, let me ask you a question. If you were on the tracks while a train was headed to Auschwitz and a woman put her hand out, would you not pull her off? Because you're a Ben Torah, you're a yeshiva bacher, you wouldn't pull her off the train? Get to Ben Yehuda and start pulling people off the train. That's what he said to us. He believed that in his heart of hearts. Kirov was not like a nice thing and a nice idea. He believed the trains are heading to Auschwitz and he passed away before the intermarriage rate was 70% what it is today. The trains are on overdrive, running efficiently, right to the disappearance of the Jewish people. And so I, I, I will never forget how strongly he said that. Anyway, in the discovery, when it was back two and a half days long, there was a whole session on, on the seven wonders of Jewish history. Anyone ever hear that talk? The Seven Wonders of Jewish History? It was a magnificent Rav Mati Berger. Rav Mati Berger used to teach the Seven Wonders of Jewish History. I'm sure today you could find it online. And in it, he traces. There are, just like we have rules of nature, just like we have gravity, E equals MC squared, we have all kinds of, that, that's my physics knowledge right there. Just like we have rules of nature, so too there are rules of history. If a larger nation swallows a smaller nation, they are absorbed into the bigger nation, and the smaller nation loses its own language and takes on the language of the bigger nation, loses its culture, takes on the culture of the bigger nation, that if you disperse the people across, they will lose their identity. We have rules, there are rules. And those rules apply literally to everyone throughout history. That's why they were, became rules. This is one exception. The Jewish people defy all the rules. It's one of the wonders of the world that we are still here. For 2,000 years, we lived on foreign languages, with foreign cultures, with foreign lands, <coughs> under foreign rule, and we stayed the Jewish people. We never lost being a member of Klal Yisrael until we got our amazing, miraculous gift of Eretz Yisrael. That's the promise here. That's the promise here. The Olam Yordim, all the other kingdoms, they rise and they fall, they ascend and descend to disappearance. And the Jewish people ain't Mazel Yisrael. And then Tziv says, Shechter actually mentioned it this past weekend when he was here, the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah talks about the four Rosh Hashanahs. The non-Jewish kings date their documents from Tishrei, Jewish kings from Nisan. Why? Because we, the miracles of Pesach, we're part of not the natural order, we are part of the supernatural order. The Radak says the Isra of the Gid Anasha, that when Yaakov sustains the injury from the Saras of Esav, when he wrestles through the night and he walks away injured, the Radak says, B'nai Yisrael are not to eat the Gid Anasha because the angel struck Yaakov's hip socket on the Gid Anasha. Yaakov struggled with the angel, teaches the principle that although the nations of the world have been interested in annihilating the descendants of Yaakov, sometimes we walk away limping. We walked away from the Holocaust much more than just limping, having been amputated from many of our limbs. But we walk away throughout history often limping, 
but we walk away and we learn to run again. We recover and we learn to run again. Look at the short time since so many of our people were amputated and look how in many ways, despite those intermarriage rates, more Torah is being learned, more yeshivas and kolim, the strength of the Torah community, and so on and so forth. And he has more and more and more on this uh, idea, machar chodesh, and so on and so forth, not for now. So the image of the coming down and going up is not a reflection of the direction, the trajectory of the angels, as much as the contrast of the other nations of the world who will rise and fall and disappear, and the Jewish people who are, in contrast, here to stay. The Ksav Sofer has another interpretation. There's an amazing medrash that says that Diyukno Lamala, Yaakov's image above, was the angels came down and they saw Dumus Diyukno below. And when they did, they tried to attack Yaakov. And what happened? B'nei Hashem Nitzav Alav. Hashem stood over him and protected him. What in the world does this medrash mean? What does that mean? Yaakov above was the same as the Yaakov below. The angels wanted to attack, so Hashem protected. So the Ksav Sofer, Salvechik says something similar, but the Ksav Sofer says it most explicitly. The Ksav Sofer says, you know what it means? The following. Every one of us has an image above. And the image above is the image of the potential of who we can become. The image above is the image of the best version of us. And then there's the image above, below. And the image below is the real us. The real us, who's not necessarily meeting our potential. Who's not living as the best version of who we can be. There's a discrepancy between the image above and the image below, the diyukno above and the diyukno below. The angels came down and they saw, whoa, Yaakov's image below is exactly his image above. Here's a mere mortal who's acting like an angel. Angels are omdim, not holchim. Angels are stationary and still. They're not challenged by temptation. And therefore, they're perfect. And here's somebody below whose image matches his image above. He's angelic, he's perfect. What is a mere mortal doing in our realm? So they want to attack him. Hashem needs a love. The Pasuk describes Hashem protects him. He says, no, that's Yaakov's job. He's doing his job. Yaakov is extraordinary. He's exceptional. He's remarkable that his image below is what matches his image above. That's our mission. For our real us to sync with the best version of us. With the best version of who we can be. Ravelia Dagovich, my buddy, when he relays the Siksav Sofer, the Chavar program, he added on a beautiful, beautiful pshat. In a few weeks we'll read that Yosef is secluded, he's alone with Aisha's Potiphar. And after relentlessly pursuing him, this is her moment. Everyone else is out of church for the day. She pretended that she was sick so she could stay home. It was a national holiday, so the landscaper wasn't there, and the maid wasn't there, and the, and the butler wasn't there. She was going to be all alone with him in the house. And he came, Lasos Malachta, the Pasuk says, he came to do his work. Rashi has two interpretations. One is to do his work, he was going to balance the books for Potiphar. And the other interpretation is Lasos Malachta meant he too knew no one else was going to be home. And after, after working tirelessly to withstand, the, uh, to withstand the advances of the wife of Potiphar, Yosef was ready to give in. Somehow Yosef found the capacity to withstand and to run away. He ran away and we know the rest is history. He's called Yosef Hatzadik. Because of it, because of it. What gave him that courage, the strength to run away? So Rashi quotes, he saw the Medrash, he saw shel aviv. He saw the image, the appearance of his father. We'll talk about this more when we get to that Parsha. Many beautiful interpretations, including my brother's theory that Yosef hadn't seen a mirror. From when he was sold by his brothers into slavery, he hadn't seen a mirror. And when he looked in the mirror, he looked just like his father. So he saw his father. 
when he looked in the mirror, he saw the exact image. He was the spitting image of his father. And now he felt, I'm the, I'm the son of Yaakov. I can't, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. It's pasnished. It's beneath me. I can't do it. But Rav Yadah suggests, based on this shot in the Medrash, the Ksav Sofer, about the Diyukno above and the Diyukno below, what did Yosef see? Yosef remembered that the father, his father, was able, his real self matched his potential self. That Yaakov also struggled with temptation and opportunity. But Yaakov, his real self, matched his potential self, his best version of himself. And that's what inspired him. I can do that too. I can be like that too. Maybe that's exactly what Yosef, what Yosef saw. Good. The passage continues, we saw. When Hashem introduces himself, he says, he says, I'm the Lord of your, Avram, your father, and I'm the Lord of, Yaakov, of Yitzchak, and this land that you're on is what I'm going to, what I'm going to give you. Why does he say, Eloke Avram, Eloke Yitzhak? So there's a beautiful Kotzke Rebbe, a very important Kotzke Rebbe. And as soon as I remember where it is, I'm going to tell it to you. I'm sorry, not the Kotzke, the Bashem. Bashem says the following. Eloke Avram. when you have a million things open here. Sorry, one second, one second. Oh, here it is. Bashem Tov wanted to know, why does it say, why doesn't it say, I'm the God of Avram and Yitzchak. It is not an efficient use of Torah space. Say, I'm the God of Avram, I'm the God of Yitzchak. Just say, I'm the God of Avram and Yitzchak. And you can ask the same question about the beginning of Hashem Asrei. Every day, we can shorten davening. Shh, <laughs> Just say, Elokei Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. Take out two words. Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzhak, Elokei Yaakov. Take out the second two Elokeis. Just make it Elokei Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. It's terribly inefficient, both in our davening and also here in this Pasuk. Said the Bashem. Ha'avos ha'kadoshim lo'somchu es'atzma machakiris avoseyim. Elokei echad mehem chikir lo'omek shorish advarim ha'shigil emunah brura beborei olam. You know why it says Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzhak, Elokei Yaakov? Because Yitzhak and Yaakov didn't just believe in God because Avram did. It's not a Lokei Avram, fine, I guess Yitzchak and Yaakov too. It's a Lokei Avram, a Lokei Yitzchak, a Lokei Yaakov. Yitzchak and Yaakov went on their own journey. They went on their own search. They asked their own ayeh, where are you, Hashem? They had their own investigation. They discovered Hashem. They established their own relationship with Him. So therefore, the Elokei Avram is different than Elokei Yitzchak. And the Elokei Yitzchak is different than Elokei Yaakov. And that's not Kfira, Chalila. I'm not suggesting there are multiple or different gods. Hashem Echad, there's only one God. But we are different. And because we are different, every one of us, we have a unique and distinct relationship with Him. We find Him in a different place. We find Him in a different way. And we have a different, ongoing, individualized relationship with Him. I find that so... Um, I find that so beautiful. Every time you daven, you start out, Elokeinu v'elokei avoseinu. Hashem, you're the God of my fathers. And I want you to know, even if I don't find you when I'm looking, then my relationship with you would be as the God of my forefathers. But even though you're the God of my forefathers, I'm not resting on my laurels, and I'm not banking on just that. I'm looking for you for myself. So I start out every Amid and I say, Elokeinu v'elokei avoseinu. You're the God of my forefathers. Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, Elokei Ephraim. I'm going to look for you too. I'm having my own investigation. I'm going on my own search mission. I have my own unique, distinct relationship with you. 
There's the duality. There's the relationship with Hashem because of our forefathers, even when we're struggling to connect. And there's the relationship we uniquely, individually have when we go search and we go find them ourselves. And that's what's being communicated. That's why it's inefficient. Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, not Elokei Avram v'Yitzchak. That's the pshat that the Helega Bashem says. But Salavitchik has a similar pshat. Undoubtedly, he knew the Bashem. Or at least uh, what his descendants said, his disciples said. And he says the following, Rabbi Salavitchik. I'm going to skip because a few more things. I'll just skip to the end of his comment. He says, it's for this reason that the God of Avram and the God of Yitzchak are construed in the possessive form. Elokei, possessive. This usage suggests that each of our forefathers retained a type of ownership, a kinyan in God, as it were. Although we assert to God as the earth and its fullness, Lashem Haaretzim Lo'ah, a man can reciprocally attain ownership rights in God himself. The patriarchs attained the ownership through their self-sacrifice, through the difficulties they endured. What an image the Rav paints. Make a kinyan on Kaddish Baruch Hu. I'm, I'm Mesiris Nefesh. The sacrifice I made, the changes, I, I, the transformation I underwent, the endurance. person can make a kinyan. Elokei sounds like I'm the owner. Elokei, Avram owned Hashem, Yitzchak owned Hashem, Yaakov owns Hashem. I, what happened? Hashem ha'aratzum la'ah. Hashem owns everything. What do you mean you own Hashem? It means you have an ownership in Hashem. You're invested in Hashem. It's the Rav's interpretation. So I'll tell you, a corollary is a beautiful slanam that Siva Shalom says. The Pasuk says, The world is filled with kinyanecha. So the simple understanding is the world is filled with things, God, that you own. You own the world and everything in it. But the Hasidic interpretation is, The world is filled with kinyanecha, ways that we can acquire you. The world is filled with opportunities and invitations to find and invest and acquire a relationship with you. Malah You woke up this morning. It's a beautiful day. The gifts, the blessings, the opportunities, the anomalies, the coincidences, the things happening in our lives and around the world. Malah The entire world is filled with kinyanecha, ways that we can make a kinyan in you, ways that you can become not only Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, that okay us, that we're not just a link in a chain relying on someone else's discovery, but that we are generating our own unique and distinct and personal relationship with you. Good. Hashem tells him you're going to be ka'afar ha'aretz. What does it mean you're going to be ka'afar ha'aretz? So the, Salana, the uh, Imre Chayim, the Vishnitzer says, Hiftiach Hashem Yisbarach Yaakov avinu alav ki Yisbarach zara b'midas ha'anava. His children will be blessed with the character trait of humility. What do we say in our davening? Our amida ends and we say, May I be ke'afar. I don't need to be in lights. I don't need to have the most followers and, and the most retweets. I'm a loyal servant Hashem. I'm serving you. As far as everyone else is concerned, let me just be ke'afar. So, that's the pshat, says the Imrechaim, Your progeny, your offspring, will have the capacity for humility. They won't be competing for the spotlight. It won't be about the stage. But ka'afar ha'aretz. They're going to be like the afar ha'aretz, and that's what we daven. It was a prediction that that's what we will daven, is for that sense of, for that sense of humility, which is the hope that we have. You fast forward, the Imrechaim has a similar vort later in the parsha. When Yaakov comes to the well later in the parsha, and these uh, 
shepherds at the well are slacking off. And he comes and he gives them mustard. He says, hey, slackers, what are you doing? Sun's not down yet. Day's work's not over yet. What are you doing? And they listen to him. It's all a shot, but they listen to him as a big, big chiddush. And the Tziv points out. You know why they listen to him? Because they didn't say, hey, slackers. What did he say? Achai, me'ayinatem. Hey, brother. Brothers, where are you from? Brothers, what's going on? When you have a relationship with someone that says, you're my brother, achai, ach, me'achai, I have a connection with you, then you can give them the feedback. You can't begin with the feedback. You got to begin with making somebody your ach. It's only when they feel like they're your brother that they will be open to influence, that they'll be open to feedback. Anyway, the Emre Chaim says, Achai, l'schus la'achva va'avaz chaveirim, efsharakai de'shif l'sa'odam, me'ayin remez la'anava, atem asvon emes. He says, Achai, my brothers, you know why I can give you musr? Me'ayin, because I come from an attitude of ayin. I'm nothing. Ayin means I'm a nothingness. Bittel. I'm a vatal myself. I don't think I'm all that. I'm sharing feedback with you from a place of humility. So I called you Achai, and because I said Me'ayin, I come from Ayin, I'm in a position to be able to give you some, to be able to give you some feedback. Pasuk Tezayin. Pasuk Tezayin. Oh, look, there's Hashem in this place, and I didn't even know. I didn't even know. This is where the Katsuko Rebbe wonders. Why did, I, why did Yaakov beat himself up? What do you mean Hashem is here and I didn't even know? And if he did know, he wouldn't have gone to sleep and have that dream? In the dream he had contact with Hashem. In the dream he had prophecy. He saw angels. He saw God. I didn't know. And if Yadati, then you wouldn't have gone to sleep and had that dream? Ask the Katzka Rebbe. So the Katzka answer is, if I knew Hashem was accessible here, I would have worked hard to find Him, not through some dream. Because the greatest way that we acquire Kedusha is not passively, not when it's handed to us on a silver spoon, it's when it takes effort. It's when it takes mysterious nefesh. So I wouldn't have slept walk through getting that prophecy. I would have looked for Hashem. He says the Katskarebbe, the highest level of holiness is the work that we do. That's the Rav's pshat. Why is Harabayas the holiest place, not Harsinai? Torah was given at Harsinai. Why is Harabayas the holiest, not Harsinai? Because Harsinai was top down. Hashem handed us the Torah. Harabayas is bottom up. The Akedas Yitzchak. The Mesiris Nefesh, Kedusha. Harsinai is not a holy place. Har HaMoriah has levels of holiness that are the highest. Because holiness is the result of effort and work, not of handing it to you. And that's why Yaakov says, But if Yadati, then I would have, then I would have looked for you here. Then I would have looked for you here. Ay. Ay. I'll tell you two more things very quickly. Yaakov tells him, stay with me. And you'll be my God. So, Ein Vahaya El Lashon Simcha says the Vishnitzer. Whenever you see the word Vahaya, it means happiness, joy, Lashon Simcha. Why is it we're using the word Vahaya here? So, this is what the Pasuk means Vahaya Lila Lokim. When am I Bisimcha? When you are Lila Lokim. 
When I live with Amuna, when I live with you, Hashem, when I understand that I don't have to ever get angry or impatient or anxious or envious, when I live understanding you run the world and everything you do for me is for a reason, when it's Vahaya Lila Lokim, then Vahaya. I'm filled with a sense of Simcha. I have to end early today. I apologize. I'll end by telling you the following fascination. Our parsha is the whole story of Rachel's struggles to have a child, and Leah is the one who snu'ah. If I had more time, I'd talk to you about that whole snu'ah. The Mephoshim all bend themselves in a pretzel to talk about what does it mean that she's snu'ah? What does it mean? The Ramban says Yaakov didn't hate Leah. He carried resentment that she deceived him and for switching Rachel on that night. But of course he didn't hate. He couldn't hate. He couldn't hate her wife. Others say that it means snu'ah doesn't mean Yaakov hated her. It just meant he loved her less than Rachel. So she felt hated in contrast, but of course he didn't. But it still says snu'ah. It says he hated her. Leah, there's a lot more to talk about another time, but Leah felt hated. Rachel, all she wanted to do was be a mother. And Leah, what is all she wanted? It's to be Yaakov's wife. Leah couldn't compete for Yaakov's love, and Rachel couldn't compete for being a mother the way Leah was. And that's this whole story of our Parsha. And if you were to freeze frame our Parsha in that story, you'd say, neither got what they want. Yes, Rachel ends up having a child, or children, but far fewer. Rachel's dreams are unrealized in many ways. Leah's dreams are unrealized in many ways if you were to stop and look there. But don't stop and look there. Look now from the perspective of history and you'll find it's a fascinating insight that Rachel and Leah are recorded and memorialized in history exactly in the roles that they craved the most. Where's Leah buried? Next to Yaakov. Rachel's in Kevin Rachel. For eternity, Leah's Yaakov's wife buried right next to Yaakov in Mara Samach Pela, while Rachel is elsewhere. And though Rachel is not Yaakov's wife in, for eternity, in perpetuity, who is Rachel? Rachel Imenu. She is buried specifically so that her children, when they are led to Gullahs, walk by, and she davens on our behalf. So even though sometimes it's a message for our lives, in the moment it feels like our dreams are so unrealized and unfulfilled. But if you have not the short version of history, but the long eye on history, you realize that sometimes with a little context and a longer lens, you're able to see those dreams and realize fulfilled to their greatest. Rachel just wanted to be a mother. She's forever Rachel Imenu. Leah just wanted to be loved as Yaakov's wife. Forever she lies next to him in Mara Samach Pela. Mitzvah see you next week.